it's Rachel and Phoebe. Please leave. Leave. Okay, I don't know if we're going to use that. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the very first episode of Wed Talk, where, you guessed it, we talk about weddings. Uh, funny name creation, Wed Talk, like TED Talk, but uh, I've, in my early podcast listening days, I was a huge fan of Ross Matthews' podcast called Straight Talk, and, and so whenever I have been talking about doing this podcast. I sing it in the Dolly Parton tune, straight talk, straight talk, where it's wed talk, wed talk. Anyway, if you've listened to any of those podcasts or get any of those references, great for you. But I'm glad you're here today and happy to have you here on Wed Talk, where we're going to talk all things weddings. This podcast is going to be for anyone who has the pleasure of planning an event, typically a wedding. Uh, or is a vendor in the industry, uh, or we're going to kind of share a lot of things that are helpful for anyone who's just an entrepreneur in general. So I thought the first question I should answer is a popular one that happens for me, especially when I have consultations with new clients, is what got you into weddings? Or is this something that you always planned on doing? Uh, Because I think that the beginning of my place and in this industry and career is a great place to start. So I actually did not ever plan or intend on getting into weddings. My childhood was filled with a lot of, uh, adventures and trips. Uh, when I was 11, I went on, uh, people to people student ambassador trips, Uh, I was very fortunate and blessed to be able to do that when I was uh, the summer between 6th and 7th grade. I was living in Maryland at the time, and I went on a trip to California and was in Yosemite National Park and uh, San Francisco and got to experience that, uh, and that was great. And then the next year, they're like, your next trip is to Europe. You're going to do England, France, Italy, and Greece. And my parents were like, yeah, but we just paid for this first trip. So you're not, not, that's not happening. So I thought I need to be resourceful. I'm going on this trip. What can I do? But I was only 13 or 12 at the time and thought I am going to be an entrepreneur. I mean, I didn't like clearly think that, but I had the entrepreneurial mindset and I started selling candy bars on the school bus ramp after school. I would uh, got special permission to leave my last class a little early to go to the guidance counselor's office and grab my library cart that I had lined up as my like station that I'd roll on down to the bus ramp and sell candy bars that I bought from Costco. And when you buy them wholesale, like a candy bar costs like you know anywhere from like sixteen to twenty three cents, and I sold them for a dollar. And I put in that work every single day after school, and I ended up making about two thirds of the money that I needed for the trip. And my parents saw how hard I worked. And so they were very, uh, willing to come up with that last extra bit to help me do that trip. And then, uh, next year's trip was to China and they were like, 
you should do this. <laughs> and by you, I mean the people to people program. And of course I was super excited and thought, okay, well, I'm going to be selling candy bars again, because that's how I got to do it being young and not able to work yet. So I tried to do that again the following year, but my family had moved from uh, Maryland to Virginia that unfortunately they would not allow me to sell candy bars because it would be in competition with the vending machines. And I was like, you're joking. I'm trying to do this to be like, you know, a better citizen of this planet. And you're forcing me to not do that by not allowing me to do the thing that helped me get the money to do the thing last year. So I was like, well, this isn't going to happen. This isn't going to work. So I did not end up going on that China trip, but over the course of that school year, I turned 14, which is when you are technically legally allowed in the state of Virginia to get a part-time job while still being a young person and student. So technically you're only supposed to work, I think like three to seven or three to nine, and you weren't supposed to work more than like, I think 10 hours or 12 hours a week. Well, I worked well beyond what child labor laws would have allowed, should have allowed, I'm very thankful for it. Um, and so I started saving up that money and saving up that money and uh, working and working and working and working. I eventually became manager. Uh, I was at a subway and I became manager there when I was 16. So I was still in school. I would, you know, do my normal eight to or seven to two or two thirty, And then I'd get off of school and then go straight over to work at the subway from three until close. I did all the scheduling, the food orders, the just managing the whole shebang, uh, and found out that the previous manager was, uh, making about $4 more an hour than I was. And yes, I understood I was 16 and this was 2006. Uh, and so to be making $12 an hour was pretty great for a 16 year old back then when the minimum wage, I think was still like five seventy five. dollars I hadn't been raised, raised to the seven twenty five yet, but uh, so yes, while I was very thankful and very fortunate, I still was like, mm, I know the work I'm putting in and the effort I'm putting in. And also I'm like going to school. So I needed, I was wanting to make sure I was being compensated correctly. So I brought that up to the owner and, uh, she did not agree. So I decided to leave and started working at other places. I worked at Dairy Queen. I worked at five guys. Uh, I worked at a local ice cream place back home in Virginia and, I also started working at a place called Tropical Smoothie Cafe and like was working at their location like a month after they opened and I worked my way up quickly to become the assistant manager and the only reason I wasn't technically the manager was because the owner was the manager but I saw how successful it was doing and this was my like going into my senior year of high school and I thought like okay this is my this is my gig I'm going to be uh, I'm going to do franchises. It just makes sense. Why would I go into debt by you know, doing tons of student loans and going to college when I could just open one of these? And I talked to the owner and she had you know paid off her house, bought a new house and bought a Hummer and still had money left over um, after a first year of business. So I was like, this is, this is the way to go. I should franchise. We should make it happen. So I start contacting corporate. I begin the process. I find, you know, a property, just getting everything started and lined up. My, you know, dad was initially supportive and was like going to be on it because at the time I was 17. So I would not have been, you know, legally able to sign a lease. So I decided that this wasn't, or I decided that this is, you know, this is how it's going to go. This is what's going to happen. So 
when I found the place and the franchise portion of Tropical Smoothie wouldn't let you continue unless you had the lease signed already. So when I brought the lease to my dad and was like, hey, I need you to sign it, he turned to me and was like, but what if this doesn't work? Like, this would be terrible for our family because, you know, to start a franchise, you have to shell out a lot of money, take out a large, small business loan. He was going to put the house up as collateral. He's like, what if this doesn't work? Like, I can't do this to the family. Like, you have to go to college. And this was around Thanksgiving of senior year of high school. And if you don't remember, that's the time when most college applications are due. And I wasn't even considering going to college. Thankfully, uh, my 12th grade English teacher had us practice or made it part of our like English assignment to do a fake college application or if we wanted to completely apply to college. So I had it mostly ready, but I didn't have any of my teacher recommendations in. So I quickly got those and just applied to basically all the state schools and, you know, Harvard, Princeton and Yale because I never wanted to play the what if game. And I uh, ended up going to University of Virginia where I was like, I'm definitely going to go into the business school. They have a plan and it's part of Thomas Jefferson, the founder of UVA, um, philosophy to do your first two years in general studies. And then your last two years concentrated in your, um, major concentration. And I did not do so hot in the prerequisites for that. Cause I thought, well, if I'm going to go to college, I'll take business classes. Not that I need business classes to tell me how to run a store because I've obviously proven I'm successful at that. But I took the prereqs, the economics and statistics, and I got the first C and D that I've ever gotten in my entire life. And I thought, man, I guess I'm not cut out for this. Like, I just didn't like understand the the functions, the Excel spreadsheets, the statistics, the equations just that made it all work. I understood the like global concepts, but just not the math portion of it. So I quickly ditched that and I switched to try to be uh, a Mr. Shoe. Um, and if you know what I'm talking about, I tried to be a <laughs> high school Spanish teacher minus the singing ability. I, I mean, I feel like I can dance uh, to some extent, but anyway... There's just a, a glee reference for all of you out there. I, uh, so I wanted to become a high school Spanish teacher because I had just started taking Spanish as well as an elective and I was picking it up pretty fast because I took French in high school. Uh, and I was like, okay, great. I should, I would be great at this. And I actually was taking it because I had joined a Christian fellowship and was on going on a mission trip. And I thought, well, I shouldn't be telling people about Jesus in my language, I should be speaking in theirs. So I picked it up pretty fast. I thought, great, this is the new path to follow. I applied to the education school, but was not accepted because of my terrible GPA from the statistics and the economics classes. So all the while, because I had become a Christian in college, I have been taking religious studies classes as additional electives. So by this time, it's now my third year of college, and I have no idea what I'm doing. So I was like, well, this is what I have to make a degree. And so I graduated with a religious studies major, um, major concentration in Christianity, minor in Judaism, and I had no intention or anything planned to do with it. Uh, I mean, eventually one day I've considered, you know, becoming a campus pastor because that's where I found Jesus. But um, who knows? Because the only other things you can really do aside from going into uh, ministry is either teaching it again or you know, getting hired by the History Channel and teaching it there. <laughs> so I, over the course of my senior year of college, 
I got really into songwriting and thought like, I want to get into music. Um, I got a seasonal job by stuffing tickets into envelopes at uh, Ticketmaster at their, you know, factory close to my college town. And uh, then contacted a friend in Austin because I thought if I wanted to get into the music industry, I should go to music cities. And at first I thought, well, New York or LA, but with, you know, expenses and student loans to be paying for afterwards, I could not afford either of those places. So my next thoughts were Austin, Nashville. And I had signed a lease with uh, a friend of mine uh, that I worked with at a summer camp um, in college in Austin to kind of pursue that, uh, avenue. I had at this point been working part-time at Gap as well outside of the Ticketmaster job, uh, Ticketmaster slash Live Nation. And, uh, I was able to transfer part-time working at Gap into Austin, but they were not able to support me full-time. So I was just part-time when I first got there, which is a very thankful to have a job, but still needed something full-time. Um, and needed to pay the bills and things were moving. So I didn't quickly try to jump into anything, music, recording, any you know, songwriting, anything like that. So I then stumbled across the, the, you know, street of the mall, like literally the store across from where Gap was at the mall that I was working to Hollister and became a manager there and worked as a manager, you know, worked my eight hour shifts there and then would get off and then go work, you know, an overnight shift at the Gap and did that for, you know, the first year that I was living in Austin, it basically took both of those jobs to get me through, uh, paying my everything. And I then, um, finally was offered a promotion at Gap after, um, a couple managers left and was able to work full-time there, quit the Hollister job. And finally I was like, okay, great. I've got a full-time job. It's able to pay all the bills, but this isn't what I wanted to do. So I got a great tax return back that year. And I thought, you know what? This could support me for a couple months. I'm just going to quit working at Gap. I'm going to leave retail. Uh, I was doing visual visual merchandising. And I was like, I'm going to leave. And I am going to pursue the music thing. So I compiled a long list of record um, labels, recording studios, anything and all that existed in the Austin market. I even also looked up uh, ticket uh, companies like I had worked at before. And nobody was hiring because once you get a job in that industry, you kind of stick with it. Um, Austin is also more of, uh, is well known for being a live music capital of the world. So more people just perform there. And so if I was more interested in the, you know, venue events, you know, music concert side of things, then great. Um, but not necessarily the music production portion of it. So, after kind of needing a job, I ended up working for a friend's landscaping company and, uh, in a series of, you know, many odd jobs that I've worked in my life. And then from there, I just wasn't getting paid enough to support myself. And so I quit that job, kind of got back into retail. I started working at Madewell, um, after being introduced to that from a friend from working at Gap. And from there, I was like, I don't want to go back and retail. Like, what am I doing with my life? So I went for a run and about two minutes into the run to kind of like clear my head, um, two minutes into the run, I run into the owner of that summer camp that I worked at, um, the summers of college. And, uh, I was like, Hey, um, I know you're probably well connected in Austin. I'd love it. If you know, I could give you my resume or if you know of anybody that's hiring, like that would be amazing to help out. And she was like, well, 
Um, we do have a wedding coming up in camp uh, in two weeks. If you just need to make some extra cash, you could, you know, come bartend if you wanted to get your um, TABC server's license. And so I was like, wait, camp does weddings? Because obviously I was only there during the summers and thought it was just kids and lake activities and horseback riding and rock climbing and all that stuff. Um, I didn't think about what they operated and did the other nine months of the year when it wasn't a summer camp. And of course they did, you know, church retreats, corporate events and weddings. So I went to bartend and the in-house, like the uh, camp had a wedding planner that worked for them that, you know, planned all the events, dropped the ball on a couple things. And because I had worked at the camp, and was a counselor. I kind of knew where the, the chairs were, extra chairs, extension cords, you know, extra linens, etc. So I was able to step in and help on a couple things. Uh, and the owner was like, thank you so much for all your help this weekend. Super great. Would love, you know, we got another wedding coming up in two weeks if you want to come back and do that again. So I was like, great, I'll take whatever money. I come back, uh, wedding planner dropped the ball again, and I stepped in again. And then she said, well, Eric, I know that you said you were looking for a job and that you were open to anything. So would you be interested in being a wedding planner? And I told her <laughs> my only experience thus far uh, as in weddings, aside from bartending these two uh, and helping out where I could, was being a ring bearer when I was seven. And that's about it. So uh, she said, Eric, I know you're smart. I can you know, train you if you're willing. Um, so if you wanted the job's yours. So I took it and started planning weddings. And um, it was fun. I got a lot of experience working there. Uh, the, the cool element of it being a summer camp and something that I actually love about the weddings that took place there is that it was a full weekend uh, affair. So people would come in on Friday because they had the cabins on property. You were able to come in and check in on Friday and stay all the way through for the whole weekend and check out Sunday. So your guests were able to have all of these moments, all these shared experiences outside of just a rehearsal dinner. You could also do a bonfire. You could hang out during the day and do lake activities or like I said, horseback riding or, you know, rock climbing, whatever it was, you know, you could do these other things and have all these fun bonding experiences as opposed to just the five hour window that you normally get um, for weddings, you know, on Saturday from ceremony start to, you know, reception end that uh, it was just, it was really cool to be able to help these couples facilitate it. And a lot of the couples actually that planned their weddings there weren't necessarily in the Austin area. A lot of them were uh, from New York or California or Colorado. And a lot of them were planning it as a destination because it was helpful because their families weren't from the same places that they were able to kind of meet in the middle of the country and, and have this weekend where everybody could just be in one spot, get there, stay the whole weekend and then leave. Um, so I did that for about a year. Um, and then I was dating my, uh, boyfriend long distance and, uh, in Houston. And so I kind of was looking for a little bit of a change. And so I applied to some, uh, venues and wedding planning places in Houston and, uh, got a job working at a wedding venue in Houston and worked there for about a year. And that opened me up to, um, I would say more of a wedding, wedding factory because, uh, the venue that I worked at before, they only did about, I think there were only four weddings on the calendar when I first started. And then, I mean, I, I think I did a lot of building up. I, you know, helped them with the website and branding and kind of selling the, the property better. And so I had tripled the business. They had about 12 weddings in the following year, but it's selling that full wedding weekend package, which is a little bit more expensive than just like a, a one day, one night event. 
this one was more of just a you're in, you're out. So they would sometimes do, you know, wedding Friday, wedding Saturday, wedding Sunday. But that venue actually had two um, sites on location. So you could have two weddings on Friday, two weddings on Saturday, two weddings on Sunday. So they basically, I would, like I said, a wedding factory where like you got everybody, you know, come in, all things come in for the one event and then, you know, peace out um, in the same day. So I did about 50 weddings while working there. And it was a more rustic, uh, event venue. So I, um, wasn't, uh, after doing so many weddings, like I said, about 50 in about a year span, um, I got kind of attracted the same style and aesthetic of a client that wanted to do, uh, cowboy boots and burlap and lace and baby's breath. And, and while, you know, that could be what they wanted uh, and what they liked and the style that they enjoyed just for, after doing it so many times over and over again, it kind of, and in the same location kind of got a little stale, a little boring for me. So I wanted to break off and start my own wedding planning business. So I did. And, uh, what was, I guess, great. And what helped me start with that is that I had already had established a lot of connections with new vendor or with vendors in the Houston market by working there. And then, um, I was actually already attached to weddings. Like we assigned weddings about six months out from that venue that I worked at. So I had about six months of weddings still lined up while I was starting my business. So I was able to kind of slowly build that up. It wasn't just like cold Turkey start from scratch. Um, and I was very thankful for organizations that had been established like the rising tide society that, uh, is basically a free networking thing that met every second Tuesday of the month and was able to network and meet people and make connections, um, reached out to venues, did tours. Uh, but like I said, I had that great base of, you know, vendors that I'd already been working with while working at the venue and uh, started getting some referrals from some of those vendors. And I think one of the big things that really helped me was advertising on The Knot. Uh, I saw how successful that was with working at both of the venues and and saw it as an opportunity for me to continue to grow uh, my business. So I advertised on The Knot. And I would say about for the first you know two and a half years, about 90% of my business came uh, from my clients finding me on The Knot. And I, I just, you know, dove in, you know, started, got my website together, got a logo together. Um, my boyfriend's a graphic designer, so he was able to, to help me, you know, get that all up and started and running business cards, started making the rounds and just ran with it. And fortunately I was, you know, successful at what I did, had people, you know, write reviews, which, you know, great for helping you, you know, get started from past events for a new business venture. Uh, just a lot of people rely on those and those are so, so, so important, uh, for people, especially in the wedding industry, when they're trying to get a feel for something that they haven't seen you work and produce yet. I mean, they can see your past stuff, but how do you work? So, uh, those are really important at the very beginning stages, uh, um, to, to get the business up and running and off to a great start. I, uh, yeah, did that for about a year, not even a full year. I looked at my calendar my first year and I had about, I think two weddings. I had one in January and one in April. And then I had nothing until September. And between September and December, I had, I think it was 16, 18, 18 weddings. 
So basically, if you do the math, there was only like one weekend or two weekends that I didn't have any weddings. I was pretty, pretty jammed. Uh, and I kind of was forecasting, looking at that and I was like, dang, like this is going to be really stressful. I mean, some of the weddings even were on the same day where people were so excited to work with me, but they were okay with me not being there. And I was fortunately able to, uh, find another wedding planner to, uh, sub out and manage the day of, but, um, I, you know, super thankful for that. So many people wanted me to be a part and help plan and design and, you know, make their day happen. Uh, that I just kept saying yes to everything. But I looked at that and I was like, that's going to be so exhausting. Weekend after weekend, some weekends doubled up, some Friday and then a Saturday that going into my second year, I didn't want to do that. And I think that that's just the nature of weddings in Texas where the busy season is like the spring and the fall and, you know, winter because it's a little bit more mild. So, you know, busy time is more like September through April and then like May through August, it's kind of dies down. I mean, people still have weddings, but they're not as frequent. So in thinking about like, how do I fill this void and spread my workout throughout the year? So that way I'm not, you know, jammed in, you know, doing all my year's business in about three months. So I started looking north and thinking about, well, where May through August is the weather a little bit more palatable and enjoyable and kind of the prime time for weddings. And initially I thought, you know, New York, like, oh, it'd be so great to do weddings in New York, but I know nothing about New York um, and the industry there. But I then, you know, kind of drew the line, you know, Nashville and up, like where else? And I kind of also doubled my search and consideration with looking at flight costs and looked at the flight costs from like from Houston to major cities North and both Houston and Chicago are United hubs. So I saw that there were about, you know, flights anywhere from like 80 to $120 on average regular, um, round trip between the cities and thought, well, okay, well that's going to cut my travel costs down. So I won't have to tell anybody or convince anybody like, Oh, there's this huge travel fee uh, involved, you know, that I can just build it into the package price. And, uh, I visited a friend, uh, in Chicago to kind of feel it out and actually went around my birthday time. But I also did a styled shoot while I was there to kind of meet with some vendors, uh, get my foot in the door, have some, you know, social media marketing content of the fact that yes, I'm in Chicago. And then a couple months after that and making the decision actually moved to Chicago for about five months and to get a, you know, lay of the land, tour tons of venues, make, you know, connections, go to Tuesdays together there with the Rising Tide Society and, you know, make lovely vendor connections. And I also to, started advertising on the knot there uh, in that market and, and found that to be super successful as well. But then coming up, I knew that my fall back in Texas was going to be super busy. So I then moved back to Houston, um, and continued to work my weddings there and kind of tried to split my seasons between both places, um, traveling, staying with friends while I was in Chicago, um, coming back to Houston and, uh, splitting my time there. Uh, eventually got to a point where, uh, while I was successful, was having fun, um, enjoying kind of splitting the locations. It was just becoming so draining on me to kind of split my energy and my time between, you know, two cities, two places. I never felt like settled or always at home. I think there was a point like one year, uh, that like between traveling to all the places that I didn't think I was actually home for like more than 
I think two weeks at any clip. And that just felt super unsettling and not great for my, you know, mental clarity and mindset and kind of having like a base or feeling rooted. So I decided to stop advertising in Chicago. So I didn't take as many weddings, but I'd still, you know, take vendor referrals or if, you know, it came through Instagram, any inquiries, I still am willing and was, was and am willing to take events, you know, in Chicago and other places. And that's something that I always encourage, you know, any of my friends from, you know, college that are still in the Virginia area that, you know, are getting married, um, to, you know, hire me. I want to, I'm happy to travel. I'm happy to help you do the thing that I, that you don't ever do, but I do constantly and do, I think pretty well, um, and be there to support you and use my talents to help you on such a special momentous day and would be super honored to be a part of it. So, um, I recently had uh, a friend of mine from college actually do that, um, for her wedding in LA. And it was super special to, to be there, to, to guide her, to help, to just, you know, make it as stress-free as possible. And it's means a lot for me, especially when it's a friend. Um, anyway, yeah, so that's, uh, that's me and how I got into weddings and, um, and where I'm, I'm kind of at now. I'm, I'm also, um, on the side helping uh, some friends of mine, uh, get a wedding venue up and running, um, in, uh, in Arkansas. And so that's kind of split a little bit of my time as well, but, uh, yeah, just, just surviving, thriving, um, and, and making, making weddings work. Um, I am excited about where this is going to go. Uh, I'm, I know I'm solo hosting right now. Who knows if maybe a co-host will pop up one day. Um, but, uh, my goal is to do and share with this podcast, anything, like I said, from entrepreneurial tips to, wedding planning tips to advice for people who are planning their wedding from vendors, uh, bringing other vendors on in, you know, each of the different, you know, vendor categories, getting, you know, photographers, florists, what other wedding planners together from, you know, the different markets that I've worked in or, you know, people that I've admired in the industry, um, to share and, and help you and help the community. Because I think that's, that's one of the huge things that I've loved about the rising tide society and, and, you know, their, huge mindset is community over competition that there's plenty of business out there for everybody to win and succeed. Um, so there's no need to hold each other down. This is, you know, a podcast it's free to listen to on whatever thing you're listening to it on. Um, I'm not doing this to make money. I mean, while sure it'd be great to start getting ads for, Oh, you know, if you want to book your, you know, tuxes for your wedding, use this place and here's promo code wet talk. Sure. Would that be great? Yes. But the intention to do this is to just get these conversations going, share things that are, I think, uh, important to me, things that I care about in the industry, things that I think will be helpful for couples, just, you know, sharing knowledge, just putting it out there, putting out this content into the world. And, uh, and like I said, helping the industry, helping couples, um, and helping people that are just starting their business. Um, uh, wanting to do everything from research and sharing with you how and why tradition started, because those are some, there's still some questions that I ask myself. Um, I'm planning on, you know, topics of, you know, ever talking everything from budgets to timelines to um, when you should be booking things, how you should be booking things, questions you should be asking yourself. And I'm also super open to, to getting your questions and listening to what you guys want to hear and kind of 
tailoring the the talks and the content to that. So if you guys have any ideas and want to share anything, I'm happy to receive. Feel free to email me at wedtalkpodcast at gmail.com. And you can also follow along, send questions as well on our Instagram at, you guessed it, wedtalkpodcast. So I think that should, uh, should do us for today. Um, hopefully, uh, you'll be back. Hopefully I didn't bore you with my life story. And I think, uh, coming up, we're going to have, um, like I said, some florists, some planners, uh, and like, and very happy to receive any other ideas, suggestions. So, uh, stick around. I've got a couple other episodes I'm releasing with this first one as well. Listen in, uh, and get your takeaways and, uh, Thanks for joining me. Uh, I hope we can see each other, talk to each other more, listen in, join in the conversation, and we'll go from there. Have a lovely day. Stay safe. Be healthy. Bye.